If there's one thing we know about the Baltimore Orioles since they promoted Adley Rutschman to the big leagues last May is that they refuse to be swept. And they kept up that amazing streak on Thursday, defeating the Houston Astros to once again avoid a sweep. I'll recap the win, plus get a little Orioles news and notes in there, and preview the weekend series against the Mariners. Coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Friday, August 11th, 2023, and welcome back into the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we are going to recap an Orioles 5-4 victory over the Houston Astros as they avoid the sweep in this one. And Felix Bautista, well, he holds on. In the ninth inning this time, get you the five things you need to know from that one. Then some Orioles news and notes in the middle of the pod, including Danny Coulomb going on the injured list, how that will affect the Orioles' bullpen, Cole Irvin being moved to the starting rotation, and John Means making his first rehab start on the track back from Tommy John surgery. Then at the end of the pod, we preview this weekend series, Orioles at Mariners, and the word is Kevin Brown should be back on the air for that one. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. Before we get there, though, just did want to thank you for making Locked On Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. We're free and available on all podcast listening platforms, and we're right here on YouTube. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the Locked On Orioles YouTube page. And remember, we are doing a giveaway next week on the pod because we surpassed earlier this week 4,000 subscribers on YouTube. That is all thanks to you all out there, the everydayers out there. Thank you so much. But also the people that, you know, tune in from time to time have found the pod lately. Thank you so much for hanging on here, following along with Locked on Orioles. So we're going to have a cool giveaway. We'll announce that giveaway and how to enter coming up on next week show, most likely on Monday, but make sure you are subscribed on YouTube. That will be the first step to entering to win a cool Orioles prize. But again, thank you to the everydayers out there for making Locked on Orioles your first listen of the day. For your first listen today, we start with an Orioles win. Final score from the yard on Thursday afternoon. I was in attendance for this one. My 12th game of the season and after I saw the loss in person on Wednesday night, O's got me a win Thursday. I am now 7-5 and five on the year, which for a team that's 71-44, and 44, not an amazing record of the games I've been to, but a win is a win on Thursday. Orioles 5, Astros 4 is the final score in the last game of a three-game set. And once again, the Orioles avoid the sweep after dropping the first two games. They win it on Thursday. They have still not been swept since they called up Adley Rutschman last May. It's an incredible streak that this team is on. With the victory, the Orioles got to 71 and 44 on the season. And as I record this at the moment, it's about 8.15 p.m. Eastern time on Thursday evening. As I record, the Cardinals lead the Rays 4-0 in the eighth inning. So as long as the Cardinals can get six more outs, the Orioles would extend their lead to three games in the AL East. But I'm going to get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles' 5-4 to four win over the Astros on Thursday. And the first thing you need to know is 
Dean Kramer just loves to face the Houston Astros, apparently, because he was really good in this one once again. Kramer goes seven strong innings, allowing just two runs on six hits. Struck out five, walked two, and the only two runs he allowed were solo homers. The first one was an opposite field shot by Yiner Diaz in the second inning that tied the game at one. And then the next one was a one-out homer by Jose Altuve in the seventh inning that cut it to a 3-2 Orioles lead. But that was it. 91 pitches for Kramer. And yes, the Astros did square him up. You know, nine hard hit balls in seven innings. But this has happened to Kramer multiple times this year where he gets squared up and he's able to pitch deep into games, keep the pitch count down. It wasn't the swing and miss stuff for Kramer today. Okay, it was eight whiffs on 49 swings. That's not great, but it was heavy fastballs. It was ball was hit to the fielders. He was able to throw strikes. He kept himself in the game. And again, I've talked about this all year, right? Like you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. And sometimes it does for Dean Kramer, but only like one start at a time. And if he continues to also give you seven innings, two runs, you're just going to you're going to trust him out there every 5 days. It's not the most dominant stuff in the world, but it's helping the Orioles win, and it did that on Thursday. And I mentioned how he pitched well against the Astros again. He was dynamite in his two starts against Houston last year. Started last August 27th in Houston, 7 and 2 thirds, one run, four hits, 3 Ks and no walks. And then if you remember September 23rd of last season, Dean Kramer throws a complete game shutout at the yard against the Astros on just four hits with six Ks and two walks. I certainly think this guy loves facing Houston. Hopefully he gets to face him again in Houston when the O's go there late in September. Second thing you need to know from this one is that Adley Rutschman cleared Mount Baltimore from the left side of the plate, leading off the game for the Orioles with a solo home run off of Astros starter Hunter Brown, who... Had an interesting start, five runs on eight hits over six innings, two homers, but also seven Ks and no walks. Interesting one for the rookie right-hander, but Adley goes deep off of him the other way. It just snuck over the wall, kind of right where that Elrod's corner is in left field. There was a review, because initially I had also thought in the stadium as well that a fan had actually reached over and caught the ball in the field of play, which would have made it fan interference, most likely would have changed a homer to a double, but they went back and reviewed it, and when you did see the video replay review, it showed the ball did just sneak over the wall before the fan caught it. It was 106 miles per hour off Adley's bat, traveling 412 feet to left field. He is the first Orioles left-handed hitter to clear Baltimore out there, and just the second hitter overall to do it. James Outman of the Dodgers did it earlier this year for the first time since they moved the wall back prior to the 2022 season, and it was a big game for Rutschman, who went two for four with that homer, also had a big RBI single later in the game to kind of extend the Orioles' lead in the sixth inning, and that was key for him. He's got his OPS up to 813. Rutschman has been red hot lately for the Orioles. He hits his first career leadoff home run with the opposite field shot on Thursday, and he's never going to be like the biggest, you know, 35-40 homer guy, but he's on a little streak here where he's hitting the ball out of the ballpark a little bit more. And that has led to some better offensive stats for Adley, and he has been really, really good lately for the Orioles. It's been a huge boost for this lineup, basically since they put him in the leadoff spot. And in the month of August now, Rutschman is hitting 361 with a 415 on base and a 1054 OPS in the month. He has been awesome. But speaking of people that have been awesome 
in this month. Ryan Mountcastle continued to devastate opposing pitchers in this game. Now, he only had one hit, but it was a big one. A two-run shot off of Hunter Brown in the bottom of the seventh inning that extended the Orioles' lead to 5-2 to two at the time. It was Mountcastle's only hit of the game in a one-for-three, but it was a two-run shot, a rocket off the bat of Mountie in this one. 105 off the bat, 391 feet, just snuck it just to the right of where the wall juts out in left field to get it out of here. It was a huge insurance runs for the Orioles. As we'll talk about what happened in the ninth inning, those were gigantic insurance runs there in the seventh off of Brown that basically got him knocked out of this game. Mountcastle's hitting over 400 since he returned from the injured list with the vertigo issue, but especially lately in the month of August, he has been ridiculous. Mountcastle in August now is 15 for 31. That is a 484 batting average, and he has a 1295 OPS in that stretch. He now has a 12-game hitting streak as well. Whatever treatment he got for the vertigo, it worked because he is red hot in the middle of that Oriole order. And remember, he's been crushing lefties all year. You know, the long homer he hit in Tuesday's game was off a lefty in Framber Valdez. This one was off a righty in Hunter Brown, and that is good to see for Ryan Mountcastle. Sticking with the offense, the fourth thing you need to know from the Orioles' 5-4 win over the Astros on Thursday is that James McCann is swinging a hot bat right now. Another nice day at the plate for McCann, who, of course, kind of made his mark over the weekend against the Mets in his revenge series. But he was huge in this one. Got the start behind the dish with the day game after the night game, batting ninth for the Orioles. Rutschman was DHing in this game. And McCann goes two for three with a single, a double, and an RBI in this game. Had a couple of huge hits. Had a leadoff double in the sixth inning and came around to score. Also had an RBI single in the third inning after a Ramon Arias leadoff triple. He's hitting the ball hard right now. He's swinging it well. And in August, McCann is now 8 for 15. That is over a 500 average with four doubles and eight RBIs in the month as basically a part-time player. And he has hits in 10 of his last 11 starts. He has been really, really good. He's got the average up to 232 now on the season and is proving to be a very useful backup for Adley Rutschman. And the fifth and final thing you need to know from the Orioles' win is uh, another worrisome day for the Orioles' bullpen. Dean Kramer goes seven strong, gives up two, Mountcastle hits the homer, and the O's go to the pen with a 5-2 to two lead in the top of the eighth. You're thinking, all right, let's shut this thing down. And CNL Perez came out there and honestly looked pretty good, right? Perez comes out there in the eighth inning. I thought his stuff was looking good. I thought his command was looking good. He strikes out Jordan Alvarez, then allows, you know, kind of a bloop single to Kyle Tucker. Then he gets Yiner Diaz to fly out. He's facing the lefty John Singleton. Singleton hits a slow ground ball to first base. You're thinking inning over. Great job. Mountcastle's flip to Perez was a little offline, but CNL also tried to catch it with his bare hand when he did have time. Singleton, not a fast runner, to just kind of turn his body, make sure he catches it with the glove, find the base, and still step on it. Not sure why he tried to catch it with the bare hand. Ended up fumbling it. Ended up being an error. And that ended Perez's day. Then they go to Yenier Cano, who gives up an RBI single to Mauricio Dubon to make it 5-3 before striking out Jeremy Pena. And then back comes Felix Bautista. After by far his worst outing of the season, giving up the four runs, the go-ahead grand slam to Kyle Tucker in Tuesday night's game. It looked like the O's had that game won. And he did struggle again. He got Jake Myers to pop out to open the inning. But then Jose Altuve doubled, he walked Alex Bregman, 
had runners on the corners, got Jordan Alvarez to pop out, which was huge. And then listen, he walked Kyle Tucker on a 3-2 pitch to load the bases with a two-run lead. It's not what you want to do. It put the tying run in scoring position. But after what Tucker did to him last time and what he's done this week, Bautista basically threw all splitters to Tucker and ended up walking him. However, and you feel good about that because Yanner Diaz is coming up. However, Diaz singles, luckily. I mean, Ramon Arias made an incredible defensive play for the first out of this game, robbing Jose Altuve of extra bases. But the play he made in the ninth inning that didn't even result in an out was probably a bigger play because Diaz hit a sharp line drive that looked like it was headed for left field. If it gets into the outfield, that's a two-run single that ties the game at five. And although Arias didn't catch it, he knocked down the line drive enough for Gunnar Henderson to be able to pick it up in shallow left and allow only one run to score and keep the bases loaded. And then Bautista, although he didn't look great and allowed all those base runners, bases were loaded, gave up a run. The big thing was he learned from Tuesday night. Remember, all the bad stuff started Tuesday when he walked John Singleton, a 100 hitter, to start the inning. Well, it was Singleton who came up with the bases loaded and two down in a 5-4 game, and Felix went right at him. Fastball, fastball. His final fastball was 102.4, got Singleton to pop it up to Gunnar Henderson to end the game. And although it wasn't anything close to the best Bautista and it wasn't perfect, it's nice to see him work through the trouble, have to face the middle of that order again, and get the save to get the Orioles the win and once again avoid that sweep against the Astros. But it wasn't all good things for the Orioles on Thursday. There was kind of some mixed news when it came to things we heard about the team on Thursday. And while there was some certainly positives to come out of the Orioles news and notes I'm going to talk about, one big negative was one of their best relievers heading to the IL with the bullpen already struggling a little bit this week. So we'll talk about what the Orioles will be without in Danny Coulomb, plus get some updates on Aaron Hicks, Tyler Wells, and John Means. That's all coming up next. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by Sleeper. Now, the Orioles heading to Seattle tonight. Do you think that, you know, a guy like Ryan Mountcastle can stay hot and hit a homer tonight? Do you think maybe Cedric Mullins, if he returns, can go deep tonight? Well, I sure do. And on Sleeper, you can swing for the fences with up to 100 times payouts. All you have to do is choose two or more players that you like and select more or less in their stat categories, like homers, strikeouts, hits, and more. Get your picks right, and you could win big. And they've got more stat categories to place contests on, like homers, triples, stolen bases, and more. And you can get higher payouts than other apps with less picks. It's easier, and you can make a little more. So use promo code Locked On, and you'll get up to a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. Currently operational in over 30 states. Check out Sleeper today. So the Orioles beat the Astros 5-4 on Thursday afternoon as Felix Bautista held on in the ninth and they avoid the sweep against Houston. But it was still kind of a shaky day for the bullpen. And quite honestly, it was a shaky series for this Orioles bullpen. As we know, Cano gave up a run in the eighth Tuesday. Bautista gives up the grand slam in the ninth. Then you have Fujinami walking three in a row in the eighth on Wednesday, followed by Mike Bauman letting all the inherited runners score for the Astros to break open the game. And then as I talked about on Thursday, Perez made the weird play at first base, Cano gave up a hit, and Bautista gave up a run and had to leave the bases loaded in the ninth. 
So once again, we're at the point where the Orioles really need all the bullpen help they can get. And while they did add Jacob Webb earlier this week, and he struck out the side in his Orioles debut on Wednesday, which was nice to see, the Orioles lost a key member of their bullpen on Thursday. And you could argue that Danny Coulomb has been the Orioles' third best reliever for most of the year behind Bautista and Cano. Coulomb has been great, but unfortunately, he is headed to the 15-day injured list with left biceps tendonitis. Now, Brandon Hyde said before the game that Coulomb felt the issue when he was warming up earlier this week in the bullpen. That's why he wasn't used this week. And Danny, you know, Hyde said he thinks he, you know, has a good chance to be back when just the 15 days are up so that it won't take more than the 15 days to get him back. But even if he is out just those 15 days, still concerning for the Orioles' bullpen. Now, Joey Crable, who was just sent down a couple of days ago, was recalled. Of course, he can come back up because he's replacing an injured player. So Crable is currently kind of the last man in the bullpen. But without Danny Coulomb, I mean, he has been so good against lefties, against righties, has that incredible breaking stuff. He went that long stretch at the beginning of the year where he was allowing the softest contact of any pitcher in baseball. Now, Coulomb has come down to earth a little bit more lately, and opponents have hit 273 against him since the All-Star break, whereas they were hitting 217 against him in the first half. So again, he's been a little more hittable in the second half, and command's been a little more erratic lately. He hasn't been the same pitcher. Maybe it'll be that this injury was the issue, and eventually if he just gets some rest, he'll be back to what he was early in the season, which was a lockdown kind of sixth, seventh inning lefty for the Orioles. But we shall see what the O's want to do here because that does take a left-hander out of their bullpen. Coulomb to the IL, you call up Crable the righty, and although Crable is pretty good against lefties, actually in his career has been better against lefties, so that helps you out, it's nice to have more left-handers. And then the Orioles actually lost another lefty from their bullpen because when the Orioles named their starters for this weekend series against the Mariners a couple of days ago, we saw Kyle Gibson Friday, we saw Kyle Bradish Sunday, but it was TBD on Saturday, and it looked like the O's were going to put somebody in there and push everybody back. Now, I had predicted the pretty easy solution there is they're probably giving Cole Irvin a spot start, which was kind of half true. Cole Irvin is going to start Saturday's game against the Mariners, which means he wasn't available out of the bullpen this week, won't be available out of the pen tonight against Seattle. But what I didn't predict is that Hyde said before the game Thursday that this is actually a move to go to a six-man rotation, at least for a while, for the Orioles. I just thought it would be, you got Irvin in there, he's kind of fresh, give him a start, you know, you push everybody else back one day and you get a little bit of rest and then you put him back in the bullpen after a couple of days and stay, stay with the five-man rotation. But they're going to go to a six-man rotation. So you're going to have Gibson, Irvin, and Bradish go this weekend and then you'll still have the three more going in Rodriguez, Flaherty, and Dean Kramer. We'll see. It does concern me a little bit to go to a six-man rotation when you have a bullpen that's struggling a bit. Because what a six-man rotation can do is not that it puts any more stress on the bullpen, but it takes one guy out of your bullpen. So when you have a 13-pitcher limit, which there is in the major leagues right now, Usually when you have five starters, you have eight relievers. Well, if you're going with six starters, you only have seven relievers. That is one less guy available in the bullpen every single night, which over time, it won't necessarily happen early, but over time can start to put more and more strain on your bullpen. 
Now, Hyde did make some good points before the game Thursday about why the Orioles are going to do this. One of the reasons is because, you know, he wants to give everybody else a little more rest in between starts. Perfectly get that. You got guys getting close to, you know, their career high in innings, a lot of young pitchers. But he also said because they're going to get, you know, John Means back and potentially Tyler Wells back and other guys back, it would be easier to fit maybe a John Means in or a Tyler Wells in if there is a sixth spot in that rotation. And so they want to get used to it now and see if it'll work before just throwing it out there in September when John Means returns. And I, I kind of do get that thinking. It is it is smart in that sense. I just do worry a bit about the bullpen getting overly taxed, more so than it is already, in two weeks from now as they kind of continue through this six-man rotation. But Irvin will start Saturday. You know, his last start right before the All-Star break, before he got moved to the pen... Six and a third innings, one run, three hits, four Ks, no walks in Minnesota. I mean, that was his best start as an Oriole. So if he can start replicating that, and he had looked really good in the pen as well, this could could be a really good thing for the O's. Because the one thing that does help you out a little bit is to say, you know, they really weren't using Irvin much out of the pen anyway. So it's not like he was pitching every day and you're losing him. And also, if anybody in this pen you can trust to go deep into games, I know we haven't seen it from Cole Irvin in an Orioles uniform, but with the A's the last two years, Irvin was consistently pitching six, seven-plus innings every time he went out there. So if you're going to do a six-man rotation, it's very helpful that the sixth guy is kind of an innings-eater type, and you already have one of those in there in Gibson. So that definitely will help a little bit, maybe if he can pitch some more innings when he does start. But because Cole Irvin is moving to the rotation and Danny Coulomb is on the IL, that leaves just one left-handed reliever in the Orioles' bullpen, and that is CNL Perez. Now, despite the weird error, Perez, I thought, looked really good in the eighth inning, you know, facing the tough part of the order with the lefties in Alvarez and Tucker coming up for the Astros. I thought he looked good. He's looked much better lately for the Orioles, and I think he can be a trustworthy reliever down the stretch for this team. But it is tough to have just one left-handed reliever. There are really good lefties to go get in a lot of lineups the O's are going to face, and it's rough to have just one guy out there. So I know Joey Crable was the move here, but listen, D.L. Hall has pitched two really good-looking outings out of the bullpen in AAA Norfolk. If Hall has maybe one or two more of those, you know, I said it on Thursday's episode of the pod, I was answering a mailbag question about, you know, who the two extra players will be that come up on September 1st when the rosters expand from 26 to 28, and I said one would be D.L. Hall to help out the bullpen. With the Coulomb injury and with Irvin going to the rotation and only one left-handed reliever, even if Hall, I think, has one more good relief outing in Norfolk where he looks good and the velocity stays up, you know, 96 to 98, I think we should be seeing D.L. Hall a lot sooner than September 1st. Maybe by even late next week, we could see Hall replace Crable and get another good lefty in there and get, I mean, D.L. Hall is one of the best 13 pitchers the Orioles have on the 40-man roster. Get him up here. I think he'll help the team. It could be moving that direction with the Coulomb injury. But speaking of left-handers, I did mention John Means, and good news on John Means. On Thursday... With the AA Bowie Bay Sox, they were down in Richmond. Means made his first rehab start since the Tommy John surgery he got early last season. He's been a little bit delayed because, you know, he had a little bit of a back muscle issue when he was building up to start his rehab a couple of months ago initially, but he pitched on a mound Thursday. And it was only two innings. You know, he pitched into the third, gave up a single to the first hitter and came out. But it was two scoreless, one hit, two Ks, no walks, 28 pitches, 17 of them strikes, 
According to Matt Sabatos, the play-by-play broadcaster for the Bowie Bay Sox, he said means his fastball was kind of sitting at 91 miles per hour. That's according to the stadium gun in Richmond, and you never know how trustworthy the minor league stadium guns are. But 91, I think you'll definitely take that for your first rehab start. He only went two innings, and the O's have said, you know, Hyde has said they're going to keep building him up. You have 30 days that he can be on a rehab assignment, and Hyde said they might use all 30 of those days to make sure he's good to go coming back from Tommy John. But the fact that he started rehab on August 10th means that that timeline the O's gave of early September is going to happen because Means has to be back, I believe, since the official rehab started. September 8th is the date the Orioles would have to decide whether they just keep him on the injured list and he misses the rest of the year or they activate him to the roster. That's early September. Whether it's a reliever, whether it's a starter, he could help this team. Very good news to see him pitching on Thursday. And a couple of other things for Orioles news and notes. Tyler Wells will pitch in A Bowie on Saturday for his second outing down there since the Orioles demoted him. Went three and a third, one run last Saturday. Again, the O's are basically giving him a week between starts and only let him go three-plus innings just to kind of lessen his workload for a bit. Aaron Hicks, it was reported that he looks like is going to join A Norfolk this weekend for a rehab assignment and is going to try to rejoin the Orioles sometime next week during the West Coast trip. That is huge news for the O's outfield. We talked about that a little bit on yesterday's episode, kind of who Hicks and Mullins would replace. Well, today, we're going to learn who Mullins will replace because it seems like most likely, especially after Mullins did not play in Bowie's game Thursday, it looks like he was on his way to Seattle instead, most likely, that Cedric Mullins is going to be activated off the injured list today. Now, Brandon Hyde said... He's not going to play him every day at the beginning. He's going to ease him back into it because he's worried because he's now had this injury twice. Remember, had it at the end of May, missed a month, came back, then re-injured it a couple of weeks later when he was running. So they're going to be cautious with him. But getting Mullins back is huge. I'm expecting the roster move to be McKenna to AAA, but we will learn that obviously later today. But that's all your Orioles news and notes. A lot going on this week in Birdland. Coming up next to finish off the pod quickly, we preview a weekend series. The Surging Mariners. Won seven in a row. They're hosting the O's for three this weekend. We'll preview it coming up next. So the Orioles will head to Seattle this weekend after winning on Thursday, but still dropping two out of three to the Houston Astros. And it looks like, you know, the O's will go into Seattle with a three-game lead in the AL East. And you know what? I will uh, I will take that at this point. You know, August 11th, Three-game lead in the East over a Rays team that started 13-0. As I'm recording at this moment, the Cardinals are up 5-0 with one out in the bottom of the ninth on the Rays, so they're two outs away from giving the O's a three-game lead. But it's Orioles and Mariners. And now, got a big series this weekend. You can listen to every single pitch of the Orioles' hometown radio broadcast of this weekend series. Remember some late-night games, maybe you want to fall asleep to the Orioles' radio. You can listen on the SXM app through SiriusXM. Just download the app and search Orioles. But it's O's and Mariners this weekend. They've already played once this year. It was a series in Baltimore back in late June, the 23rd through the 25th, a weekend series in which the Orioles took two of three from the Mariners. Now, it did not start off very well for the Orioles. Mariners won that Friday night game 13-1. to It was kind of embarrassing for the O's that game. One of their most embarrassing losses of the year. But they turned it around on Saturday. Now, Saturday was a weird one. That was the game where Felix Bautista allowed a two-out home run to Mike Ford to tie the game. And then Ryan McKenna played hero 
with that two-run walk-off homer in the bottom of the 10th to give the Orioles a 6-4 to win. And then they got a couple of clutch hits Sunday, held on for a 3-2 to win in the Sunday game to take two out of three from Seattle. Now, at that point, the Mariners were just below 500. They were kind of a middling team. They were not playing very good baseball. That has very much changed since then. The Mariners have been red hot since the All-Star break. They actually have the best record since the All-Star break in all of baseball. The Orioles are second, but the Mariners are number one. They are now 62-52 and 52 on the year, and they are just a game and a half out of the final wildcard spot in the American League. Just a game and a half sitting behind the Toronto Blue Jays at the moment. And the Mariners come into this series on a seven-game winning streak. This team is red hot at the moment. They just swept the San Diego Padres at home in a quick two-game set. That was after mopping the Los Angeles Angels, taking all four from them. And they've also won 12 out of 14 overall. They've been playing some great, great baseball. Now, who to look for for the Orioles side? Anthony Santander was absolute nails in this series in June between the two teams. Santander in that series against Seattle went 6-for-12 with three homers and five RBIs. That included a 4-for-4 game he had on Saturday. And Santander hit homers in all three of those games against the Mariners. On the flip side for Seattle, J.P. Crawford had a good series back then. He continues to be the Mariners' best hitter. But look out for kind of some part-time platoon guys that they play. Dylan Moore, Tom Murphy, and Cade Marlowe have all been great in part-time roles this year for the Mariners. The one big change on this Mariners roster, I would say, is they are no longer with their closer. Paul Seawald, they traded to the Diamondbacks for three prospects at the deadline. So their bullpen does look a little different. The hard-throwing Andres Munoz is now kind of the back-end guy. But they still have great starting pitching, inconsistent hitting, and a really good bullpen despite that Seawald trade. So let's take a look at the pitching matchups, how it will stack up when this series starts tonight. Again, Game 1 is tonight, and they are on... The West Coast. So remember that one. If you're going to stay up, get yourself ready. Maybe take a nap today. 10-10 p.m. Eastern time start for game one tonight. It's Kyle Gibson who goes for the Orioles in game one. 140 innings on the year in 24 starts. His last start against the Mets was dominant. Seven innings, three runs, nine strikeouts over the weekend against New York. He was awesome in that one. However, Gibson is the guy who got hit around by Seattle in that 13-1 game in Game 1 of the series last time. Gibson lasted just three innings, by far his shortest start as an Oriole. Five runs, seven hits, four Ks, three walks, and a homer. He would like to not repeat that this time. And on the other side, it's the Mariners' ace. It's the 30-year-old righty Luis Castillo, who has a 3.21 ERA in 23 starts this season. Although Castillo was absolutely obliterated in his last start against the Angels. Six innings, seven runs on 10 hits for Castillo in that one. Of course, the Orioles would love to do that again. He did not pitch in the first series between the two teams this year. Then game two on Saturday, a little earlier start, 9.40 p.m. Eastern time. And as I mentioned, Cole Irvin is going to take the ball in that one for the Orioles, rejoining the rotation this weekend to make it a six-man rotation. It'll be his first start since early July when he had a really good start against Minnesota that I mentioned. And he will go up against the young, talented right-hander George Kirby, who has a 3.32 ERA in 22 starts this season, coming off of seven innings of one-run ball against the Angels for Kirby, who's one of the best strike throwers in baseball, does not really walk guys at all. The Orioles got to him 
a little bit when he faced the O's in the Sunday game in the last series. Six and a third, three runs, six hits, three Ks, a walk, and a home run. And then we go to the Sunday game this week, and it's a 4.10 p.m. Eastern time start on Sunday. Much easier to watch all nine innings as that one. Kyle Bradish will get the ball for the Orioles in this one. 3-1-9 ERA for Bradish in 21 starts this year. Had a weird start against the Mets Sunday. Four and two-thirds scoreless. But the reason he went four and two-thirds was because although he struck out five guys, he walked five guys. CNL Perez got him out of a bases-loaded jam to keep it at those zero runs allowed. He'll hope to be a little more efficient in this one. He also started the Sunday game last time against the Mariners. He was awesome. Seven innings, two runs, two hits, seven Ks, two walks, and a home run in that one. And on Sunday, he will go up against a rookie right-hander in Bryce Miller, who has a 4.20 ERA in 16 starts this year for the Mariners. Five innings of one-run ball with 10 strikeouts and no walks for Miller his last time out against the Angels. Yeah, he only pitched five, but it was a pretty dominant five innings. He started the Saturday game the last time against the Orioles. Not as good. Four and a third, three runs, six hits, four Ks, three walks, and a home run allowed. And that'll be the series. Hopefully the O's can go on the road, take a series against the Mariners, and then continue their West Coast trip. And I will be back with you on Monday, recapping the entire weekend series between the M's and the O's. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.